0: Once companies make that leap to really promise full flower, fresh pre-rolls that have an expiration date, that have a Best Buy date, that will win over so many more consumers.
1: This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me as always is Kellen Fiend. This week, we've got a very special guest, Harrison Bard, co-founder of Custom Cones USA. Harrison, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Brian and Kellen? Doing good. Thanks for taking the time.
2: Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Really excited to talk to Harrison, learn as much as we can about pre-rolls and that whole industry, right? Uh, How are you doing today, Brian?
1: I'm excited to talk pre-rolls because I didn't know I'm a big pre-roll guy prior to get involved in this little uh, conversation and, and some of the programs we're going to talk about today. But Harrison, before we dive into some of the fun stuff, we got a little East Coast, West Coast battle and with loyalties being kind of split all over the place. I'd like to know originally,
0: are you from the East Coast? Are you from the West Coast? Yeah. So I'm from the East Coast, from Miami. And uh, yeah, grew up there and just always wanted to get out to the West Coast because that's where the cannabis industry is at. So that's what brought me over to the West Coast. And I'm now living in Seattle. Awesome. Awesome. And then
1: I just want to point out, thank you very much, Matthew, for pointing out the fact that Kellen does not live on the West Coast. He lives in what Matthew described, the Mountain West. So thank you very much for <laughs> clarifying that for
2: Kellen. Yeah, we <laughs> can leave that one up for debate, but uh, I'm going to say West Coast, you yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Matthew might have disagree. So Harrison, for our listeners on wondering that you can give a little background about yourself and hang on to the
0: cannabis space. Yeah, so I started Custom Cons USA with a co-founder, Frederick Ratting, in Seattle. We were both working for Amazon, and we... We would just talk every day about Amazon sucks, it's brutal here, let's quit and let's get involved in the cannabis industry. So every day at lunch, we were talking about it and figuring it out. And then every day after work, we would literally leave Amazon at like 6 o'clock and work all into the night, trying to figure out how we can get into the cannabis industry. And like how you often hear in startup stories, the original idea isn't always the idea that worked out. We ended up pivoting our original concept that was creating a cannabis infused blunt wrap where the paper is actually made from cannabis we did eventually figure out how to make that product. We were manufacturing it inside of a licensed Washington-based business. And when we were bringing that product around from to farm to farm trying to sell it, people really loved it. But they were like, okay, this paper is really cool. But we needed it to be a pre-rolled cone to be able to use it in all our machines. And we had no idea about anything beyond how to make this paper at that point. So we had just been exposed to pre-rolled cones and how you know these manufacturers are creating pre-rolls. So we're like, okay, let's figure out how do we make these cannabis papers into pre-roll cones. And that's what sent us down this huge rabbit hole where we learned everything about pre-roll cones, how to make them, everything about that industry. And then we had quit our jobs at Amazon with no plan. Uh, Many, many months had gone by with us making no money. And so eventually we were like, all right, well, we have this cannabis paper business. Let's start this pre-roll cones business now that we became really familiar with it. And then we had another business too uh, that we were, we were just trying anything at the time. So we had three websites going and then Custom Cones USA started taking off. This was back in 2018-2019. And at that point, pre-rolls weren't that cool. But they were starting to catch on and people started calling us over the years saying like, What do you have in stock? I need 50,000 cones, 100,000 cones yesterday. What can you get me? And that's just how the business continued to grow. So take
1: us through like the time differences from when you had that first idea from the, the blunt wraps, and then you kind of slowly pivoted. What is the time origin of the path from when you had Amazon, when you had the idea, and then when you kind of pivoted towards custom cones, and then to the point where the, the business started? Because I want people to understand that those iterations there are massive ups and downs, and there's challenges. It's not like an overnight thing. You you learn, you iterate, and you continue forward.
0: Yeah. So we had started working at Amazon in 2016, put in one full year thought that was like an honorable professional thing to do. Both myself and Frederick quit on the same day. Super scary conversation to have. Um, and that was in 2017. And then we started this cannabis paper company while we were working at Amazon. So that was like in 2016. And then some point, like midway through 2017 is when we really learned a lot about pre-roll cones and launched CustomConesUSA.com. And then we worked on both businesses simultaneously, simultaneously for about like a year, year and a half. And then it was in like 2018, where Custom Cons USA really started blowing up. And we had to make the really tough decision to put the cannabis papers on hold for the time being. Um, It it is still something where we have that technology and we've been talking to different partners on how we could bring that state by state and scale that eventually. But we had to make the tough decision to really table that and focus solely on Custom Cons USA. In those early days with kind of balancing all these different
2: businesses and trying a bunch of different things, how are you guys like determining the best way to allocate your resources towards these different endeavors?
0: We were just all in. So we had quit our jobs at that point, which is something that has its pros and cons. You, I would definitely recommend not having a, a backup. You hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about if you have that safety net, that backup, you'll never really fully invest in it. But at the same time, you really want to make sure that you're financially stable or have some sort of family you could fall back on because you could really lose everything. Most businesses will fail within five years. So you should expect that that's the most likely outcome. And that's why it's also really important to pivot because you're most likely going to fail. And unless you're willing to pivot, your chances of failing definitely are going to go up. So we were all in and we were just throwing all of our resources at everything. and. I'd say, you know, we were really good at listening to the customer. That's something that Amazon really drilled into us is how important the customer is and base everything off the customer. So as we got more and more feedback and seen more and more data about how the pre-roll industry was growing and how those customer those customers were coming to us versus with the cannabis derived papers, it was a tough sell cuz we didn't have it in a pre-roll cone format. It made it pretty obvious where we should shift our time and our resources. What do yeah. you
1: think was the difference that allowed for like the spike in custom cones to kind of get it from like even with the other business to kind of accelerating forward to make it the primary business?
0: Yeah, I think it just came down to the life cycle of pre rolls in the industry. So, you know, back in 2016, 2017, cannabis industries were really young in Washington, California, Colorado. It wasn't legal in, in a bunch of other states where it's now legal now. And at that time, pre-rolls were really a way for farmers to take their trim and shake and just make money off of it. And they really did have a mindset of like, "This is my waste material, how could I turn it into a product?" And pre-rolls were super, super high margin for them at that point, because they were really putting in material that they probably would have you know disposed of. Um, you know, now you could there's extraction methods, and it's much more popular to extract that type of material. But so they were creating pre-rolls that were really garbage. Consumers were still buying them, but they weren't that popular. And then over time, cannabis prices were dropping and they've consistently dropped and will continue to drop. So farmers, you know, who were putting really garbage cannabis flour into the pre-rolls now are able to put like B and C buds, which is perfectly fine cannabis product into the pre-rolls for the same exact cost. And then consumers started like asking and talking to butt tenders and butt tenders also really enjoy pre-rolls too. It doesn't matter if you know how to roll. If you're a regular smoker and you're smoking with friends, you don't want to be the person at the party who's sitting down for 20 minutes rolling up 5 joints. So I know people who are amazing rollers take a lot of pride in how they roll, but they're still going to pick up a multi-pack when they go to a party because they want to be in the event and not spend their time rolling joints all the time. So consumers you know, started caring more about the quality of the pre-roll. And as the price of flour went down, it made it more accessible and more viable to put higher quality flour into pre-rolls. And that really helps spur the growth of, of the, that category segment. Yeah.
2: And so with every startup, you kind of need... Everyone says entrepreneurs get lucky here and there. And I know that Washington's market for pre-rolls is probably one of the strongest pre-roll markets in the entire country, right? I guess people in Washington really, really love their pre rolls So during those early days... When you guys were going out and learning all of this, were you guys just solely focused on conversations within the state of Washington? Or were you also having conversations outside the state of Washington to learn more about the pre-rolls and,
0: and all that stuff? Yeah, we've always had a, a nationwide you know, total North American focus. So we saw a lot into Canada as well. And the interesting thing was it was actually quite difficult to tap into the Washington market at first. Washington and California, Colorado... These states have been doing, you know, medical and recreational cannabis the longest. So these companies, the founders of these companies, the operations folks over there, they've already have their stuff figured out, and so they're not looking for new suppliers. They're not going to the new trade shows. You know, the, you don't know, typically don't see these companies. In fact, in Washington and Colorado, there's really not that many trade shows anymore. Same thing in California. You know, of course, MJ BizCon in Vegas draws everyone to it. But like, you know, Canacon, which does a lot of the state by state trade shows, they stopped doing the Washington show. They really stopped doing the Colorado show. There used to be Indo Expo out in Colorado, and that's, um, you know, fizzled out, not really a big thing anymore. So it's actually hard for us to tap into the Washington market at first because people were so entrenched and already had their own suppliers and everything figured out. So we've really succeeded by being in every state possible. And the emerging states is where we get a lot of our new customers from. I want to go back to what you said about kind of the value of having
1: a pre-roll and kind of alluding back to like the tobacco comparison and understanding that most people, when they're going outside to smoke a cigarette, don't have to go roll their own cigarettes. Some people do for sure. But the kind of the act of just pulling out a joint and then going out and smoking, I think it's is so much faster to the, the perceived expectation from that feeling. And I think that is what allowed like the unlocking of the category because not everyone can roll their own joints. And that is sometimes a hindrance for some people when they're looking to consume with flour and they, they don't unroll. Do you, do you believe that's kind of the big difference? Or what do you think has helped unlock the category to take it to what we've seen some staggering numbers?
0: Yeah, so definitely that's one aspect of just the convenience factor in the US, especially convenience is king. You see that with like invention of drive through restaurants, you know, that's a US invention with like the grab and go coffees, like all of the pre-made coffee drinks you that you can now get in the grocery store, energy drinks, you know, bottled teas and stuff. Everything in the US is shifting towards convenience. That's like the hardcore consumer preference. And then also, like you mentioned, even you know, many people can't roll. And then now infused pre-rolls is extremely popular. And that's something that even if you can roll, creating an infused pre-roll is really messy and actually makes it much harder. You have to get this cannabis concentrate. Really the best way to do it is to liquefy it. So melt it down uh, without heating it too much. You need special tools. The rolling papers are super thin and fragile. So you're like smearing it on with your dab tool and it could easily rip. And now, now you have like, you know, maybe like, $3 To five dollars worth of concentrate on a piece of ripped paper. So, like, what are you going to do with that? Um, so infused pre rolls are getting more popular, and I think that's also helped expand the category. And that's something that even the most advanced roller is going to have a difficult time making. And then now we're seeing pre rolls with like wood tips, glass tips, different shapes and sizes. And so, again, you know, it is possible to roll with a glass tip, it's not that hard, but it is harder than using a regular paper tip. It's much more slippery, it'll slide out. The best way to do it is with a cigar band and like. Who has cigar bands on hand? Pretty much no one. So uh, yeah, it's all those factors. And then as well as the advancements in pre-roll automation. So pre-rolls didn't exist 10-15 you know, years ago. So the equipment to manufacture these things didn't exist. It's interesting in the cannabis industry, a lot of the companies that come out with pre-roll equipment are really small mom and pop founders working out of the garage a lot of them are people who were producer processors and were like, the machines that they had access to absolutely suck. I could definitely make a better version. So we've met people who've been in that situation and then created their own pre-roll machine. And so as advancements in even tabletop pre-roll machinery, but let alone all the advanced autom- fully automated pre-roll machines have come into the market, they've further dropped the labor costs and production costs of creating a pre-roll, helped make them more consistent. And then that's you know consistently driven the cost down. One question that I've always had about the
2: the pre-rolls is, how come they still do crutches instead of like filters like a
0: cigarette? You know what I mean?- mm-hmm. Well, the filter in a cigarette is actually a piece of plastic. It's cellulose acetate. That's so yeah, and you see thousands of them on the floor, you know, when you yeah. walk down the street yeah. in the city. So like one it's it's plastic. When you're heating it up, you're probably getting microplastics and chemicals you know in your mouth and in your lungs. So I don't think educated cannabis consumers are going to want to smoke through that anyways. And then those those type of cigarette filters filter out stuff. So they filter out bad stuff in terms of tar and some level of carcinogens, although most of that's probably still passing through. But it's also going to filter out some level of THC. It is probably really minute. Um, We are trying to work with a lab to do an analytical test and study that. But... um, the average cannabis consumer is trying to get as high as possible and they're not used to smoking out of that type of filter. So they don't want that. Typically, a smoker doesn't mind coughing and getting a huge harsh hit. to them. that's a sign of like, this is really good and I'm going to get really baked. Um, and you don't get that experience when you throw that type of filter on there. Thank and, you. So, yep. <laughs> just to
1: clarify, the pre-rolls versus the infused, for those who just might not be familiar with the differences, can you kind of just break down and allude to kind of the differences between the two?
0: Yeah. So a regular pre-roll is you know, an all-encompassing term for a joint that's already rolled and ready for sale at a dispensary. And then infused pre-roll is a subset of that where it's, it has some sort of cannabis concentrate in it as well. There's a ton of different types of cannabis concentrate. And then there's a bunch of different ways that you could infuse it into a pre-roll. So the most popular type is when you see infused on the outside. They paint a light layer of cannabis oil on the outside and then roll it around in leaf. Um, those are super popular. The leading brands are going to be like Jeeters, Fuzzies out of California. They're absolutely dominating the industry, selling infused pre rolls and infused pre roll multipacks. You could also flavor them that way too. So the cannabis oil is really thick and viscous, and you could heat it up to uh, lower the viscosity and make it easier to paint on the outside of the pre roll. But what most companies are actually doing to to help paint it on is to thin it. And one way to thin it is to introduce terpenes to it. And the terpenes will make it more runny. And there's a lot of artificial terpenes in the industry. So cannabis-derived terpenes are extremely expensive. I don't have the figures off the top of my head, but like thousands of dollars you know, per liter for sure. Whereas you could easily get botanical-derived terpenes, which are all natural, but they're coming from like lavender or large-scale oranges or just other sort of naturally-derived Botanical products, and then they extract these terpenes. Um, there's a bunch of companies like True Terpenes that sell these to manufacturers. They're really common in vape cartridges. So, if you ever smoke a vape that has a really strong flavor profile or is like even named with the flavor, it's definitely going to have botanical derived terpenes in it. Um, and the live resin ones typically don't, and that's what you'll get like a more natural cannabis flavor from. So yeah, so painting it on the outside and rolling in Keef is really popular, but then you can also infuse it just within the cone. So just taking Keef and mixing that with your flower and putting that into a cone is technically an infused pre-roll. You'll see a lot made with Bubble Hash as well, where they're just creating hash, breaking it up into tiny bits, mixing that with their flower material, and then running through the pre-roll machine to create an infused pre-roll. And then we have an automated pre-roll machine, which at scale can help you produce 800 infused pre-rolls per hour. And what it does is you take your finished pre-roll, doesn't matter what shape or size or filter type, we have specially designed cartridges that will accommodate any size pre-roll. And then one by one, it automatically takes the pre-roll up and injects a rod of oil down the center, kind of like a hash hole. And now there's a new attachment to that machine that actually creates a hash hole, where it creates a cavity down the center of the pre-roll and then injects a rod of hash oil or any other type of concentrate you want, which creates that donut-style infused pre-roll, where as you're burning it, you see that hole down the center and there's like a thick slug of hash rosin or other type of concentrate to make it an infused pre-roll.
1: And just to clarify, the pricing would be relatively the same with the infused a little more and someone would select the infused likely because they're looking to get uh, more
0: baked? Yeah. So the infused pre-rolls are definitely more expensive. But the bigger companies, there's now companies that only make pre-rolls. One of them in Washington is called Juicy Joints, where pre-rolls is the only product category they play in. And you could buy one of their infused pre-rolls for probably the same price that you could buy like a smaller grower's craft full flower pre-roll. So at this point, you could pick up an infused pre-roll for most likely like eight to $15, where in Washington you could pick up a regular low quality budget pre-roll for as little as $4. And we see that like the average price for a pre-roll across the country, Washington being on the low end is about $4. It could be as high as ten to fifteen dollars across the country, and then infused pre rolls are typically around like ten to twenty, if not like twenty-five or thirty dollars. We should exclude New York <laughs> the side, uh, because those prices are. They're not do you see a, a
2: typical size that is favored for the infused pre rolls? Like, do people like one gram cones that to make their their infused pre rolls,
0: or is that kind of arbitrary? It's really varied. I mean, so Jeter is a leader in pre rolls for like across the country. We just came out with a a report just that just focused on the Arizona market, and out of the top two hundred pre roll products in Arizona specifically, all of them are infused pre rolls, and they they range from the small dog walkers to the single one gram pre roll. So, like the single one gram infused pre rolls usually comes in a single pack. Whereas if you're getting a dog walker or a half gram pre-roll, and dog walker is about 0.25 to 0.35, those are going to come in multi-packs, which typically are about five pre-rolls or sometimes up to 10. So they're all really popular in terms of sizing. Um, they just kind of gear towards different type of customers or different type of occasions. Smoking a one gram infused pre-roll is going to take you like 10 to 20 minutes probably to smoke. And it's usually more than one person needs, probably more than two people need. Um, so that's why the smaller size pre-rolls are getting really popular. And then they also help give a, a cheaper pre-roll since it's a smaller amount and it's, a, it's enough for your average consumer. So it makes it more accessible as well. I'd be really impressed with anyone that could
2: smoke a one gram infused pre roll to themselves. Yeah. In all honesty. <laughs> they're definitely out
0: there. Those, you, know, those, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you could probably find a YouTuber smoking two out of their mouth <laughs> if you want.
1: <laughs> I want to know about the cross cone, just like we've seen in Pineapple Express. Do, are those popular? Do I've never seen anyone actually smoking those. Like, do people actually buy
0: those? So they're definitely really neat. Um, there's a company out of Colorado, I think it's. The green solution which is a huge vertically integrated dispensary chain where they've really done well at offering like anything and everything in terms of the pre-roll category so they have all the regular pre-rolls that you would expect and then the cross cone is one of their formats that they do sell it's definitely not going to be a leading you, but if you are looking to expand into a unique product and really stand out, it's a really giftable item. Oh, for sure. So I doubt there's consumers that are like smoking cross cones daily, if not weekly. But if you want to be the talk of the party or like bring something that's going to wow everyone, if you bring a cross cone or cross joint to an event, it's definitely going to get people smiling and talking and taking pictures and sharing on social media. And they're a lot of fun. That's exactly what I felt When I opened up the
1: the cross cone, I was like, it'd be a shame if I consumed this by myself because this would be the perfect thing to show someone else.
0: And they'd be like, oh my god, I can't believe these really exist. Yeah, you can't even really smoke it yourself because you can't light it yourself. You have to light all three ends at the same time if you want it to burn evenly and you don't have three hands or the coordination to puff it and get all of them going. So you really need at least two people so you can get all three lit at the same time. You need three lighters. Um, So yeah, it's definitely a party experience. Yeah, definitely an eye-opener.
1: I'm curious though, like state by state, are purchasing habits different by consumer? Have you seen any trends? Are people more interested in different size pre-rolls versus different type of paper? Take us through how it works state by state.
0: So state by state, things do seem pretty consistent. And one of the interesting things about pre-rolls in general is that they have the most consistent sales amongst all the different consumer demographic types. So like, for example, typically your baby boomers will have different preferences than Gen Z. But pre-rolls are the most consistent in all of them. So we released a white paper in collaboration with Headset where we have this chart, but I'll just run th- through some of the numbers here. But baby boomers, their biggest... Where they're spending most of their money is on flour. Out of all baby boomer customers, they spend about like 42.5% on flour, And then this number of flower purchases goes down. So Gen X spends about 40% of their purchasing on flour. Then that drops to 39% for Millennials and then 33% for Gen Z. So consistently shrinking. In the opposite direction, we have vape pens. So Gen Z spends the most money on vape pens at 33.6%. And then that continues to shrink down to like 24% for Millennials, 20% for Gen X, and then 14% for Baby Boomers. Whereas pre-rolls are really consistent amongst everyone and stay pretty popular amongst all those groups. So they're the most popular with Gen Z and Millennials, pretty much equal 14.4% of of their wallet share for Gen Z and 14.5% for Millennials. And then that number stays relatively consistent, just shrinking by 1% to 13.6% for Gen X and then 12.8% for baby boomers. Whereas if you look at all the other categories, they either are shrinking or growing as they go up or down that generational scale. Do you have any ideas or theories why that could be? I think it's just like the pre roll, like, is the tried and true proven method. Of course, like smoking a bong is the other one that you probably will also see pretty consistent. Like, everyone's dad and grandpa, like, used to smoke a bong in the sixties. So, like, there's still a bunch of people like that. Like, my uncle is a huge bong smoker, but like, you know, people have grown up smoking pre rolls. It's something that you could trust in terms of, like, especially if you're rolling it yourself, you see. You know, the flower, you get hands on with it. It's a bit of an experience. A lot of people view it as like a ritual of taking out their grinder, looking at the bud, sniffing it right as soon as they open up the jar. Um, So it's just really consistent and it is very communal. If you're smoking with a group of people, it is kind of one of the best ways to enjoy the cannabis together.
1: And the convenience aspect, I think, is really the best part because again, like you could be someone who's maybe not such a good roller and you can go into a dispensary, you want to try the flower, and you can just quickly grab a a pre-roll and instantly step outside and get to it.
0: Yeah. And then touching on that, what's helping drive the convenience is the popularity of multi-packs. So buying one pre-roll at a time is great. That kind of helps you get a nice variety. But pre-roll multipacks have also been exploding in popularity and that makes it even easier to just go into the store, buy like a 5, 7-pack, 10-pack. They're even now selling 28 packs of single 1-gram pre-rolls, which is like the maximum amount of flour that you could buy in one transaction in Washington. We've seen like over 400% growth in multipacks since 2021. In 2018, multipacks only made up 27.7% of all pre-roll sales. And now in 23- 2023... Multi-packs are making up over 47% of all pre-roll sales. So that's making it even more convenient. And then the manufacturer is also saving money by creating multi-packs. If you're putting a label on it, you're now spreading that label cost and the labor of applying that label from one pre-roll to now five or seven or 10, however many in that pack. And then the packaging is different. So like the price of a pop-top tube is like, you know, typically around seven cents or so. And a multi pack is going to be a little bit more money, but now that you're putting one pure on the multi- in the pop top tube, where you could put five, seven, or ten in a multi pack, that's still only going to cost you know ten to thirty cents, and so that's spreading those costs, especially the labor costs out. And companies are passing those savings along to the customer, so it's more convenient and also a little bit more affordable now too. So as the industry moves to more multi
2: pack kind of uh, delivery mechanisms, this is going to be a weird question, but cones, right? I've always wondered this, why has the cannabis industry always favored cones over like your traditional straight, like cigarette, right? And even when you roll one by hand, it's typically not a cone, depending on how you roll. I can't roll a cone personally, Mm -hmm. FYI. Mm -hmm. And as you go to multi-packs, you're going to be able to save more space by making them straight. So like, is there a reason that like cones took off and no one ever went with like a straight
0: tube? So I... Pretty, like, I don't know if anyone knows for sure, but the cone seems to be a, an invention of necessity okay. where like Amsterdam had this problem first where they had coffee shops and then pre-rolls were getting more popular. So they had to manufacture pre-rolls first. And if you've ever tried to fill like a cigarette tube, which is eight millimeters opening diameter, it's really hard and very finicky in terms of getting it to pack evenly all the way down at the bottom where the natural geometry of the cone helps funnel the material in. And the cones work. Cones, like, there's like empirically, there's no debate about it, are going to fill better and more efficiently in a tabletop pre roll machine than a tube. And even in the advanced, fully automated pre roll machines, there's a ton of challenges around getting the tube to pack more evenly. And it does come down to just that natural geometry of funneling the cannabis down to the bottom and making sure you get a nice tight pack down at the bottom first. Otherwise, in a low quality pre roll, you'll typically see like a loose, floppy, tip towards the crutch of the the pre-roll. And that happens way more when you're packing a tube. The cannabis is sticky, it's chunky, and it just clumps up and doesn't fully pack all the way down at the bottom. So that would be the reason that I attribute the growth of cones. Thank, Thank you. I was wondering. That makes a lot of sense. What, what about the shelf
1: life? How, how long does it stay together? And is there a recommended shelf life for purchasing a pre-roll and then consuming it within a certain period of time?
0: Yeah, that's like a bit of a, an unknown right now. No one's putting this type of information on their pre-rolls. I was actually disappointed to see that Washington took off the requirement to label a lot of this type of information on their packaging. It used to be part of the legal requirements to put the harvest date and I think even the package date on the label. And they've gone away with both of those now. So, a lot less transparency for the consumer. And I think that was as a result of these businesses just lobbying and saying, like, hey, we have a lot of old material. You hear like news stories like in Oregon and Oklahoma where they have enough weed for the next like three to five years if they stop growing today and people are still growing today. So, they don't want you to put the harvest date of like 2017 and they're still selling it to you three to five years later. So, as long as it's not growing mold, It's fine. The potency will degrade over time and it will also shift like THC denatures or changes into like CBG over time or CBN. So your effect will be different. And, you know, some people might like that better. Pretty sure CBN is definitely going to give you more of a sleepy time effect. And at least me personally, I always go to the dispensary and I'm like, give me something that's going to knock me out and nothing does. So if I had a pre roll that was two years old that had a bunch of CBN in it and it actually made me sleepy, I would like that. But um, yeah, there's really not a metric or a norm in terms of shelf life. One thing I would like to see in the future, um, and it would address a lot of customer complaints or skepticism about pre-rolls, is more transparency on the production date. And I view the future of pre-rolls being really similar to like the grocery store, where you know that produce isn't sitting there for a long time. It's easier to see because it starts perishing. It gets like soft and squishy and and has brown spots. So they get rid of it. But even the same thing as like prepackaged food, the grocery stores, I don't even know if they're mandated to do it, but they put the day that it's packaged and like the sell by date. And I think pre rolls will be the same thing in the future where you know that pre roll was produced on Monday, the 17th, and the store or the brand is recommending that it sells by the 25th. Otherwise, you know, they're going to get rid of it somehow most likely the brand's going to want to buy it back because they don't want to tarnish their brand by selling bad pre-rolls. And they'll probably extract it, um, make concentrating vapes out of it where there is no negative implication of that.
1: I definitely see the tremendous value
0: in that, but it just opens up so many challenges for all the parties
1: involved. And I, I wonder if like, that's one that ever gets to where it needs to
0: be, just given all the internal hurdles of the, as you described. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to better forecasting and demand planning, which cannabis companies typically are terrible at. Part of that is being able to yeah, anticipate demand, which they're really bad at. And then also like plan ahead and allocate resources ahead of time, which also really bad at. But I think it just comes down to one company doing it first. And once they set the precedent of all of their pre-rolls are fresh, consumers are going to gravitate towards those. Definitely, bud tenders are going to recommend those because they'll have confidence that they're fresh. And I think that's just that's how capitalism works. Someone's gonna do it first, it's gonna be a higher quality product. Customers are gonna shift their purchasing preferences there. And you're gonna have to follow, otherwise you're gonna be known as like the budget pre-roll that might be a year old. And it's definitely gonna be cheap, but that's not gonna be high quality.
1: A hundred percent. I think that's exactly what happens, right? A company goes forward and says this is the level we're we're adhering to from a quality control standpoint everybody is going to flock there because they know they're going to get the freshest products. And consumers influence change with their wallets, exactly like you described. And I think that is what alters everyone else to kind of follow suit.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I also think that like as the industry matures more, you're going to see more sophisticated operators that come into place that... like, like Currently, most farmers don't grow something unless they know it's already been sold, right? Like soybean farmers are not growing soybeans unless that crop has already been sold. And so like, you're going to see these kind of business management aspects come into the industry over time. And I think that's also going to facilitate like more normal, like being able to purchase the freshest material that you can when you go into the store.
1: Wait, Kellen, you think we should grow in only certain states? Why not grow in every single state and just have all the markets divided? Wouldn't that be so much better?
2: Yeah, it is way better that way, you know. Fragmented, everyone can do their own thing. Everyone can make their own rules. The
1: weather's the same universally, right? You can get the highest quality product, which gets an end, good end product.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. One thing we've noticed, I was going to say, is like you said, like the soybean farmers, like really experienced, and they know what they're doing, and so they won't sell what they haven't. Or they won't grow what they haven't sold yet. What we've seen in a lot of cannabis companies is it's a bit of a green rush where everyone wants to get involved. And um, a lot of founders or operators don't necessarily have growing experience, or maybe they have growing experience because they've been growing, you know, in the legacy market for the past 20 years, but then they don't have manufacturing experience. And what a lot of people don't realize is this is a manufacturing type of operation. It doesn't matter how good your wheat is. If you can't get it from, you know, out of the ground into a manufactured product and know about operations and cycle time and throughput, you're really going to struggle to run a manufacturing company, which at the end of the day, that's what a cannabis company is. Yeah, that's a good, really good point.
1: Really well said. Let's slightly switch gears and talk about the Day Savers launch. Talk, talk to us about the goal and the origin of the idea behind it and what you're looking to achieve.
0: Yeah, so a huge emphasis for Custom Cones USA has always been, has always been around compliance and testing. So we are the most strict and the most comprehensive in terms of testing for heavy metals, pesticides, microbials... We're also the most transparent about paper science. A big part of our company is putting out knowledge. So we put out a ton of educational information on our blog and on our YouTube, just talking about paper science and, and topics like throughput and cycle time, you know, manufacturing best practices. And we noticed that there was a huge lack, lacking of that in the consumer space. On in consumer smoking accessories, it's pretty much the opposite. It's just like, how sexy and can you be in your marketing? And like, how much did you lie and deceive the consumer? Like, the biggest one is rice paper. And I love talking to people and like enlightening them about what rice paper really is at trade shows. Um, Rice paper is a lie. That's just a marketing gimmick that's been around in the industry for years. There's no such thing as rice paper in terms of really what you're smoking. It's just, refined white paper which is made from wood pulp and um what do they think you, uh, they think it's made from rice and they think it's the best paper because it's made from rice and other white papers, not rice paper but the one that they buy that's called rice paper is the best of course. and it's the best because they've been told it's the best because it's rice paper so people will come up to our booth um we'll educate them on that and they'll they'll swear up and down they will be like no way and i'll be like go to the website like the the popular brand that you love so much now has a small asterisk as you scroll down the homepage saying, it's not really made from rice. There's no such thing. You can make paper from rice straw. (laughs) Yeah, so paper is made from plant cellulose. And at the end of the day, they're refining and beating up that plant raw material so much that you're really just isolating the cellulose, which is like the building blocks of of the plant, which gives it strength. And that's what paper is made from. That there's really no difference. And then this is where like another misconception comes from is that like the brown paper is more natural and that's better. And a lot of cannabis consumers have grown up, you know, thinking that like, oh, the natural brown paper, the white one has bleach, unless it's rice paper, that one's the best. But the other ones that have bleach in it, and that's that's bad. So the brown one's better. It's way better for cannabis. The difference between white paper and brown paper is that level of refinement that the paper pulp goes through. And they just stop that refining process a little bit earlier and leave a couple extra plant components in it. And it's those plant components that give it that natural brown or tan color. And then when you're smoking it, you're now smoking more stuff. And those plant components that make it brown also add a little bit extra flavor. So that's why a lot of people think that the rice paper is the best because really white paper is the best because it does have the least amount of stuff in it. And when you're smoking cannabis, you want to try to taste your flour as much as possible. So the white paper is going to do that a little bit better than the brown or the hemp paper. The hemp paper is, like, in my opinion, the worst tasting. It is really, really minute. So you have to really have an unbiased mind and try to do a blind taste test if possible. But you'll, you'll also hear from a lot of customers that they really don't like the hemp paper. They think it tastes the worst or it's the harshest. And it's true because hemp fibers, which you know a lot of people are probably familiar with, are known for being really strong and robust and really durable. And that correlates to also a little bit stronger of a taste and flavor. So the hemp papers are going to be the most flavorful, which in a cannabis experience, you don't want that. Can't trust marketers. No,
2: no I really appreciate you bringing all that down. I thought brown paper was the healthy paper my whole life. But now that listening to you, I was like, oh, duh, there's clearly more things in it. For sure. Wow. I mean,
0: that's impressive, honestly. Yeah. So it was like all of this gimmicky, lying, you know, sexy marketing lingo that really got us to the point where, like, okay, we should come up with a consumer brand of rolling papers, cones, smoking accessories that pass on like the ethos of Custom Cones USA, which is being like truthful, transparent, and based off like science, education, and compliance, and then bring that over to the consumer space. And then, you know, another thing is we used to sell palm leaf blunts, which are really popularized by the brand King Palm. And we were selling, you know, our own version. So they weren't King Palm ones. We were just making the same exact type of thing. And the first thing is they're not palm related. That's just a term palm leaf. So there's two different types of leaf. The one that that King Palm's made of is a cordial leaf. And then there's another type that's really popular, especially in India, called a tendu leaf. And so, you know, people think that they're actually smoking a palm leaf and it's all natural and this is better. This is like a a tobacco alternative that's way healthier. Yeah, tobacco is really bad. You definitely don't want to smoke tobacco. But um, we were selling these palm leaf blunts, quote unquote, to our customers. And we test everything before we sell it. And these were failing for not only heavy metals and pesticides, but oftentimes microbials. So these are just, you know, natural leaves that are growing. Um, typically in India or Southeast Asia somewhere, and they're either spraying them directly with pesticides, or there's pesticide drift from a nearby farm getting on them. If there's not, they're not covered in pesticides. They're absorbing heavy metals from the ground. You know, India and Southeast Asia unfortunately has a lot of pollution, and those heavy metals, you know, find their way into the soil from nearby pollution or from the rain bringing it down into the soil. And then those are really popular because they have a corn husk filter tip. And we've seen many times where if you take that corn husk filter tip and unroll it, there'll be mold growing in the inside. And then there could even be mold growing on the leaf. So we totally stopped selling those over a year or two ago just because we're very compliance focused and all of our customers are basing their entire business off you know what they buy from us and if things fail. Um, there's actually a huge news story out in Colorado. Um, Westworld wrote a big piece on it that there's been a ton of recalls related to palm leaf blunts. And so we didn't want to deal with that anymore. So we would stopped selling those years ago. So yeah, we, we just wanted to bring like a, nothing's healthy, you know, when you're smoking it or even vaping it. Like a lot of people thought the e-cigarettes was going to be a healthy alternative to smoking cigarettes, and I think that conversation has pretty much come to the point where it's not healthier. I don't think there's any empirical evidence that vaping an e-cig is any better than smoking a cigarette. So we never like to say it's healthier, but we're we're selling products that are tested for heavy metals, microbials, and pesticides under the Day Savers brand, and bringing all of the innovation and unique products that we've developed in Custom Cones USA to the consumer. So we were the first company to have blunt cones, hemp rep blunt cones. We really popularized putting like wood, glass, and ceramic tips into pre-rolls. We have all sorts of unique shapes and sizes. And so we're taking all of these unique views that we've created for our B2B customers And then now bringing them to consumers, at the same time, educating them on what they really are, and then giving them the confidence that all of these are tested to the same really, really strict standards that cannabis products are tested. Where in the regular smoking accessories space is really the wild, wild west. There's absolutely no laws governing rolling papers and those type of products. So we're just holding ourselves accountable so that customers can trust that what they're buying from us is going to be as safe as possible.
1: I got to hand it to you. That is very Amazon like to take the data from your business and to to do a forward facing customer based uh, brand in order to take advantage of the information and the value you
0: have. Got to hand it to you. Very Amazon like. Yeah, I've got to thank Papa Jeff Bezos for that. (laughs) He he knows what he's doing. (laughs) He's a smart guy (laughs) for sure.
1: What is the most expensive lesson that you have learned?
0: It kind of comes down to compliance. So it's really like test your stuff and hold your supply chain accountable. So we've ordered you know tens of thousands of dollars of these palm leaf blunts. And then once we find out that they have heavy metals and pesticides or microbials, we throw them away. You know we're not going to sell them to our customers. The suppliers overseas aren't going to take them back, so we have to throw them away. Same thing with packaging, too. We've bought in packaging where you can't like a lot of these overseas vendors will tell you it's child resistant. And they'll even have a certificate that says it's child resistant, but it's from like a bogus company that you're pretty much just paying for it, or they're photoshopping it. And so, this was the thing that I actually led. Like, I don't handle the um, supply chain or new, like operations anymore, but at one point I did, and I had ordered a bunch of these multi-pack tubes. They said they were child resistant, and once we got them and went due diligence process, they weren't. So we had to sell them as non-child resistant. Luckily in Washington. Um, pop-top tubes don't need to be child-resistant, so we were able to sell them to companies who don't care about that. But that could have potentially been you know, a huge mistake and a very costly one.
1: Were you ever close to closing up shop? If so, what happened to alter your path?
0: Luckily, we were not. We grew and scaled very slowly and sustainably. We started in our living room in 2017-2018 and slowly added one product at a time, one service at a time. The reason why the company is called Custom Cones USA is because at first we only sold custom branded cones. So for us, that, was, that had no risk. If you wanted a custom cone, you pay 50% upfront and then you pay 50% before we ship it. So we were cash flow positive from the beginning. And then customers were saying, What do you have in stock? I need 10,000 cones yesterday. Then we started sell, stocking unbranded cones in our living room, in our hallways, in our closets. We literally had boxes of cones from floor to ceiling. And then slowly over time, we went, we went to every single trade show, either exhibiting or walking it and found the best machine vendors. On our website, we don't manufacture any of the machines we sell, but we find the best machines out there. We test them. We typically test it ourselves and then get it into one or two really trusted customers' hands and have them give us firsthand testimonial. of like, Yeah, I've been using this 8 hours a day for weeks straight and it's good quality hasn't broken. And then we added you know, machines from grinders to sifters to cone-filling machines, packaging machines. And then the last vertical we added was packaging. So we didn't start doing everything all at once, but we've slowly grown to be a full one-stop shop for anything a pre-roll company would need to start, grow, or scale their brand.
1: Dream smoking session, three people
0: dead or alive. Uh, Jerry Garcia, the huge deadhead. Um, so definitely want to smoke with him and see what type of cool stories he's got. I think he's also inspired a lot of pot smokers across the world. And maybe like one of those, like, uh, I forget what they're called, like, but like Ken Kesey, one of those like acid test guys that was also like hanging out with Jerry and really like helped popularize psychedelics. And then maybe, maybe see if Stephen Hawkins would want to get high and could blow our minds. That'd be, That'd be a good time. Yeah. <laughs>
1: what was one of the most surprising or unexpected challenges you encountered while operating in the cannabis space?
0: It's not that surprising because a lot of people faced it, but we've had our business accounts shut down. And then they didn't only shut down our business account, but they shut down my personal bank account. So we were originally banking with Bank of America. Somehow we didn't get the letter in the mail. So they called us one day and they're like, Hey, you've never replied to that letter. But like, by the way, we're shutting your bank account down in two days. And also your personal bank account. So that was a huge surprise, something we had to deal with. And we've experienced different levels of that across all sorts of things. And we're not even cannabis-touching. So I can't even imagine how difficult it is for an actual cannabis-touching farm. But we've had issues with warehouse. Um, we're moving to a new, bigger warehouse um, next month. And we had warehouses secured, gone through the entire process, and then it just went to the final decision-maker. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't want to lease to you just because you're cannabis-related and we're not growing in there and that happened three times in a row and then finally the fourth one we were able to finally get to the finish line but we almost like we're right up against the deadline and we're to the point now where we're not able to install our racking in time because of this so we're going to have to move into this new beautiful warehouse and have stuff on the ground without like proper racking so just like the level of discrimination and challenges and hurdles that a cannabis company is going through even an ancillary one is is pretty surprising and difficult to deal with
1: Right. And as you said, you are a non-plant-touching
0: company. Yeah. Non-plant-touching. We also sell to hemp industries and to other fully federally legal companies. And the government's like, okay, taking our tax money. So no problem there. Wow, man. No No problem problem
2: there. there.
1: (laughs) When you started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? Most importantly,
0: what did you get wrong? What we got right was uh, keeping the customer in mind. And that's something that's always first and foremost in our mind is, what does the customer want? What does the customer need that they maybe don't know that they want yet? And then one thing we got wrong was hiring and management. So that's something that a lot of founders are going to start out with zero experience. And even if they have a little bit of experience from being a manager in a company, it's nothing like being the owner of a company and now managing everyone. So we've made a ton of mistakes in terms of hiring decisions. You know, you'll think one thing I learned, which is like a good takeaway, is you don't want to hire, unfortunately, a jack of all trades. Someone like, oh, this person will be good at this, and they can help with that, and like they they could even help with this. You really want to find someone that is an expert at one thing and loves that one thing and has the continuous track record of growth and performance in that area, and that's always going to work out the best. There are jack of all trades that maybe will work out, but. That's a total gamble. I don't know the percentages, but a lot of the time it's not going to work out. So made a lot of hiring decisions and management decisions along the way that were wrong and have learned and grown across the way. Well said. All right, prediction
1: time. Harrison, how do you see consumer preferences for cannabis evolving over the next five to 10 years? Will pre-rolls remain the top choice or might we see a shift towards
0: other categories such as edible tinctures or another form of consumption? So we made the bold prediction, I think it was about a year ago, that pre-rolls would eventually be the number one category and overtake flour, which is always the number one category. And we're starting to see this now in Canada. So in the US, pre-rolls is the third biggest product segment at like 12%. But in Canada, pre-rolls are more than twice as popular. In beginning of 2022, in Canada, pre-rolls made up 20% market share. So almost double that of the US. And now, halfway through 2023, puals are now up to 31 and percent market share. And so in Canada, the number one category is flour, but flour has consistently been dropping from at the beginning of 2022, being like 45 percent market share, now down to 35 percent. So they're converging on each other, and now puals are just like three, three and a half, four percent shy of being the number one product category in Canada. And then we expect to see that continue to grow. So I think pre-rolls will be the number one category in Canada within one or two years. It might take longer in the US, but as pre-roll multi-packs get more popular, as automation continues to drive down the cost, not only in the manufacturing side, but also creating infused pre-rolls. And then I think once companies make that leap to really promise full flower fresh pre-rolls, that have an expiration date, that have a Best Buy date, that will win over so many more consumers and really drive a lot more sales. It's definitely not going to be tinctures. One major trend we saw is these like health and wellness categories are the ones that are having, they not only have the least amount of market share, but they have the biggest declines year over year. So that's like tinctures, capsules, sublinguals. All of those make up less than 1% typically in any given state and have like the biggest year over year declines. Whereas these like Hardcore recreational type products, which is full flower pre rolls, vape pens, and concentrates. This is where consumers are shifting their money. These are the categories that are actually growing, and um, I think we'll see concentrates plateau and then start to the decline, and vape pens really take over. One thing I, I was really surprised to see is that the all-in-one disposable vapes have been exploding in popularity. You hear, you know, people like care about the environment and single waste and battery waste. But, like at the end of the day, they really don't care, or at least not the consumers that are buying vapes and concentrates. Those single use disposable vape pens were one of the top three growing segments in both the US and Canada over the last year. Well said. Kellen.
2: I'm going to agree. I think that as more and more consumers um, become mature in the cannabis space, they're just looking to kind of get high. And buying flour has kind of a ritual around it in terms of consuming it. But if you're in a hurry, and you're just trying to get things done in your busy American life, I think that this is why you look at the tobacco industry, right? Yes, there's people that roll their own cigarettes, but not even close to as many people just purchasing cigarettes and smoking a pack of cigarettes, right? And so I think that you see these multi-packs kind of increasing in market share um, over the last three or four years. And I think that's going to continue. And I I do believe that just from a convenience factor, that pre-rolls will end up most likely being the number one product category. And you also have to remember that it is all flour, right? So it's just not just the flour itself. It's flour with some paper around it. So technically, I don't know, you know, flour is still king at that point, right? Um, What do you think, Brian? So as
1: per the unwritten rules of the podcast, (laughs) I will take another side. And I will disagree and say pre-rolls are not going to be the top category because in the words of Bob Hogan, generation die-off. As Harrison alluded to today, the, the generation that enjoys smoking the most are the ones closest to the end and the ones who are not smoking, right, are the Gen Zs who don't drink but are vaping. Eventually, we'll probably find out that vaping is not so good. And they'll look for another way to consume, which I'll assume will be back to beverage which hopefully in five to 10 years, they've gotten down their economies of scale in the manufacturing side. And people will go to in alternative to alcohol and more of a comfortable feel from a social standpoint. And I think beverage will be the top category in the next five to 10 years.
0: I wouldn't oh, hold my listen. breath for that one. <laughs> like, I have no other
1: choice. I know their choice. So Anderson, for those who want to learn more about custom cones and they want to get in contact, where can they find you?
0: I just want to say, beverages in the U.S. make up one point one percent of sales, <laughs> I and, then, know, right? and in Canada, that's two percent. So, I mean, I couldn't take maybe. tinctures. I couldn't take tinctures. You
1: know <laughs> Edibles, I like, but like, it just seemed like too basic. I needed to go for the higher swing.
0: I like yeah, it. no, I mean, it's gonna be pre rolls and vapes. Um, I hate vape pens. It's like they just hit the back of my throat so hard, and it just burns like. I think, and I don't know, I hope not, but I think there's going to be some sort of study or finding in the future of how bad those really are, especially with how cheap they are, like with what type of metals are in there and materials. Um, the ceramic ones are nice.
2: You're talking about heating metals is bad?
1: What? Yeah, right? Who would have guessed? Heard. Heard.
2: It's only bad if you don't, don't inhale it, right? Oh, if you don't inhale it, yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the same thing with people who are like, oh, I am really care about the environment. Here's a disposable vape pen I just
0: threw out again. You're like, hmm, that's... Nice. <laughs> odd. So, Anderson, where can where can people find you to get in touch? Yeah. So our website is customconesusa.com. Definitely check us out. We have a ton of informational blogs and videos where you could learn anything. We've had tons of people come up to us at trade shows, like hugging us, being like, you guys have taught me everything and helped really grow and scale our business, which is always amazing to hear. And then our new consumer brand is Day Savers. Uh, website's daysavers.com. So, definitely, if you're a regular consumer and you want to buy small pack sizes, check out daysavers.com. We actually have plenty of consumers that go to customconsusa.com and buy like boxes of 200 or 800 because they're just hardcore smokers. And so, you can definitely get a really good value there. For sure. We'll link it all to the show. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, really appreciate your time. Have a good rest of your day. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you.